0: Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. discussing
1: cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film.
0: So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question...
1: What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Don't put that in this podcast. Okay. I promise <laughs> I won't start this podcast with Dick. Stop kids. it! I'm just saying. I promise I won't. <laughs> I'll cut it out.
0: We've begun. Have we?
1: I, mean, I don't know. We're, we're rolling. That doesn't mean we've begun. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> welcome to What Do You Got? <laughs> I'm Greg. No, that's not your name. I honestly forgot for a moment.
0: Okay, uh, Rob had a stroke, but Mm. I'm the host, Nick, and this is Stroke Rob. Mm. I smell muffins. (laughs) No, that's just because I'm cooking muffins. Oh, oh, great.
1: (laughs) Blueberry or boysenberry? (laughs) (laughs) Glass muffin. (laughs) (laughs) How old is that fucking video? The muffins video? A long time. (laughs) Anyways, welcome to What You Got, everybody. I'm Rob, your uh, senior and better co-host. And with me, as always, is... Nick, what am I? What? Huh? huh? I'm the young and cool one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the young, fun one. Uh-huh. Oh, he's, he's, I'm the young, hot one. <laughs> he's here on a special government I'm program.
0: Like, I'm like a 40 year old woman who's still trying to keep it going. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm wearing a cheetah print dress that's tight.
1: <sighs> oh, gosh. Seriously, we're, I shouldn't be wearing here, this dress. We're out here at the neighborhood bar. We're celebrating <laughs> Julie's divorce. Woo, single. <laughs> Fuck you, Patrick. Come here, boys. <laughs> Get her.
0: I'm telling you, Patrick was a bastard for leaving you the way he did. Because Dennis is a
1: bastard man. Because
0: Dennis is a bastard man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, let's peak those sounds. okay no, actually, we're, we're doing well. I've managed to find a, a nice equilibrium with our levels. For when we yell? Yes. All that's, right. That's why I kept fiddling. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode eight of the podcast. We're glad
0: you could join us. Hope you did. Yeah. Um, We've got a pretty, pretty gnarly one for you today. Uh, Rob sent this to me a while back, actually. And the name sounded familiar, but I could not remember what it was. And then I read it, and I needed to take a bath. (laughs) So, Rob, I'm just going to point it right over to you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Collier Brothers?
1: Yes. Homer and Langley Collier uh, are pretty much uh, New York legends. Um, And that doesn't mean a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) On, like, the level of pizza rat. Uh, Uh, essentially they were the sons of a, a gynecologist and a, an opera performer, I believe, uh, in early 20th century New York. Uh, their father worked at Bellevue Hospital, uh, infamous psychiatric institution, uh, in the later, uh, or in the middle part of the century. Um, but they became famous as pretty much history's greatest hoarders, um, it's 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 difficult to really explain the scale of what exactly was going on, but um, their family uh, had been in New York for centuries, really, uh, kind of old money-ish, and at a certain point once their parents had passed away and they inherited a brownstone in Harlem where they lived all their lives. This is about like the late 20s,
0: I believe, 1920s. Their mother
1: died in <clears throat> 27 or 29, okay. I think. Their father died a little bit before that. Yeah. Um, which is uh, really where all their money came from where their only money came from was their inheritance and what their family had had so gradually over time and they were always fairly eccentric but they just became absolute recluses from the world and didn't really venture out of their brownstone this much at all one of them eventually became disabled uh, he went blind because of uh, hemorrhages. hemorrhages in his optic yeah. nerve uh, in the back of his eyes that was Homer that was Homer the, the elder brother who was, uh, was he the engineer or the lawyer? He was the lawyer, uh, I believe. Homer was the lawyer. Langley was, was the, the engineer. engineer. And the and the pianist. So Homer, the, the uh, lawyer, uh, an elder of the brothers went blind. Uh, and they really completely shut themselves out from the world entirely. His younger brother, Langley, uh, devoted himself to taking care of his brother. Uh, Exclusively, really. Mm -hmm. uh, Feeding him on a diet of uh, black bread and peanut butter and 100 oranges a week. uh, Believing that this would cure his blindness at some point. Where did that come from? Well, he was quoted in the newspaper as, as saying, Langley. Well, you know, uh, we have a, a library of over fifteen thousand medical books in our in our house. Our father was a doctor, so we decided we wouldn't be going to seek medical treatment. After all, we knew so much about medicine. Uh, but, don't do that.
0: And also, his father was a
1: gynecologist.
0: Yeah, like that's not really going to help if you're having a stroke due to hemorrhaging. And
1: I mean, I'm sure he knows some as a yeah. doctor, but <laughs> and so they became neighborhood legends, just as like you know this this. Fairly opulent uh, Harlem brownstone, and and they did move in there at a time when Harlem was a really upscale, very white neighborhood. Uh, it's like you know these two rich old white men who just won't come out of their house or only come out at night. Home uh, Langley did to, to go out and look for food, yeah, or buy food, I should say, or scavenge for whatever they were yeah. doing. And over the course of like a couple of decades, they became infamous and in the subject of urban legends that they were hoarding money in the house. People kept trying to break in, so they put bars on the windows. That only really fed to the mystique of, it, of these guys. It is
0: interesting to think about the fact that, like, having, if we had lived in this time and having them be alive and, like, actually just knowing,
1: like, oh, that's the that's the Collier brothers' house. Like, you've never seen them. They don't come yeah. out. Ain't nobody seen the, seen the older one in, yeah. like, you know, like 20 years. Because um, he was uh, not only completely blind, but also became very arthritic, yeah. dead. Uh, and his brother, again, only went out at night dressed in a heavy, tattered coat and yeah. a newsboy cap. Towards the towards the
0: uh, end, or actually maybe even a little bit earlier, probably in the thirties, they started. They like completely shut themselves off. They had no income, no resources for that. And Langley, actually as an engineer, he stole an old Ford Model T, right? and used that as a generator to keep so things going. Weird. And he found a way, I believe, to like, pretty much siphon plumbing or water from a nearby yeah, park. Yeah,
1: they didn't... uh They stopped paying their gas and electric and water bills entirely, uh and they uh, started becoming a fixture in newspapers, these weird brothers, because, you know, Con Edison came and removed their gas meters and got in a shouting match with them, and, you know, they just, he, you know, kept themselves warm with a kerosene lamp and maybe tried to use that Model T to generate electricity. Yeah. Like you said, I'm not... It wasn't 100% clear if that actually worked. Yeah. And they went to a park for water. And, uh, you know, that only feeds into the mystique. And now, of course, you know, the Daily News and whoever are on top of this like, Two old weirdos! Yeah. Perfect.
0: <laughs> it's a sequel to the Straw Hat riots. It, it really is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's
1: complete yellow journalism. People love hearing about weird people. Yeah, because and, they're creepy. Um, yeah, they just... Didn't want to be bothered with the state of the world.
0: But not only that, one of the most important parts about it, they set booby traps.
1: Yes, Langley was uh, a, a, quite a, a talented engineer, and because people were always trying to get into the house, it's like, oh, they probably got some kind of Goonies <laughs> treasure yeah. in there. Yeah. Uh, he set up like newspaper bundles that would fall on you and crush you to death. They yeah. were like, like snare traps and shit, and there were like a system of tunnels through yeah. newspapers. Because uh, adding to the eccentricity of this, he hoarded newspapers for decades, multiple uh, different publishers uh, to the point where he was able to construct nests yeah. and, like, and think tunnels of the it is going to make. And, his re- and Langley's reason for this was, uh, well, I just want to make sure that Homer can catch up on the news when he gets his site back. Which is, Which a is really loose, Tunes.
0: But it's a really sweet it idea.
1: Really is. yeah. Uh, he 100% believed that his brother yeah. was going to see again. Um, and, you know, they became fixtures and papers for their constant clashes with the authority. Probably my favorite story is that they were going to repossess the house because they hadn't uh, paid the mortgage yeah. in some time because they didn't talk to anybody or they didn't have a phone and, you know, they weren't paying anything. And they came to repossess it and Langley just walked out and like gave them a check for the full amount of the mortgage. Which was about $6,700
0: in today's terms around one hundred and thirty, I believe. 130000 Something somewhere like Somewhere around
1: there. Yeah, um, and just paid off the whole mortgage at once. Uh, so they did have money. And Which again, would... led to the mystique of like, yeah. they must have things in there. Yeah, so they were able to lead what I guess we would call a normal life. They just didn't. Yeah. Um, and
0: on top of that, obviously, guys, we will have the article linked in the comments. There is a gallery in that article of images from within the apartment, the brownstone on 5th yeah. Ave. Uh, please take a look at it. It's, it's very squirm-inducing. Yeah. Uh, find other it's sources tough.
1: as well, because there's a lot of interesting details and a lot of different articles that aren't really... All collated in one place.
0: I, I'm really surprised there hasn't been a movie about them yet.
1: Uh, the closest that's happened is uh, a fantastic writer named uh, who passed away recently, named El Doctorow. O. Uh, wrote a book called Homer and Langley. He, oh. he's the guy who wrote Ragtime. Uh, okay, which, it's a famous musical now, but it was a um, novel first. That
0: takes away one of my titles of the movie. Then
1: what? The title I was one of the titles I had was Langley and
0: Homer. Um, oh, <laughs> so I guess I unless mean, it's a direct uh,
1: version of the book. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't own the right No, I also know, he's I know. Um, So yeah, the the mystique kept uh, going on and on. At some point, there was a fire in the apartment, uh, and that's when stories really got out about what it was like in there because yeah. the firemen were like nests, nests of junk, yeah, <laughs> baby carriages. And I mean, if a fire breaks out in an apartment, that is.
0: Full head to toe with newspapers.
1: And uh, they, you know, eventually uh somebody from the authorities was able to talk to Homer. You might think throughout this his brother was just like keeping him locked up or something. No, yeah. he was I don't want to say he was fine. He was blind and arthritic, but they you know, he was sitting in a chair and he was so arthritic, his knees were, like, up to his chest. That's just how he sat all the time. I,
0: I wonder if, like, having been blind like that, I wonder if he knew the extent of how bad the apartment was.
1: I imagine he had to. But, yeah, he, yeah, he was 100% dependent on, on Langley for right. his food. And, you know, he couldn't move around because he was arthritic and he couldn't see anything. Uh, and that's where, really, the tragedy of the story comes into play because the cops get an anonymous call in uh, 47? 47. In 1947. It's actually a, um... I had the date
0: down here somewhere. March 21st, March 21st.
1: Um, st- stating uh, that uh, somebody had died in there. Um, apparently it was just a rumor that didn't well, wind up being correct. Well, because there was the... What they called originally was
0: that it smelled really bad. It smelled it terrible. It smelled like decomposing. Worse than usual.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, they said decomposition in the article itself. Yeah. And uh, so they, the authorities came to do a welfare check and managed to get into the the house. There's just a, a wall of junk at the front door that they had to navigate through and eventually made their way uh, deeper into the house where they found uh, that Homer had died and he was sitting in his his chair in a tattered bathrobe uh, with his knees uh, up to his chest and his head slumped down. Uh, And it was determined uh, by autopsy that he had died of uh, starvation and congenital heart disease. uh, And that he'd actually only died about 10 hours before they got in there, um, which is fairly tragic. And uh, Langley was nowhere to be found. Uh, And there was a a nine-state, like, manhunt because they they figured, like, oh, he's flown the coop because his brother died. We got to – let's wait here for him to come back. Well, they thought – they originally thought that he was the anonymous tip and that he was the
0: one that Uh killed him, too.
1: Yeah. Had just left him to die, essentially. Uh, And, like, you know, people always – mess up these investigations. People were calling into the cops and being like, I saw him get on a bus to Atlantic City. And yeah. like, you know, there was a hours-long search of Atlantic and, City. And they're like, God damn it, now we got to search Atlantic City. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this eventually spread to nine different states based on people just, want, I don't know why people want to be a part of these things. Yeah. Um, it reminds me, when I was, um, when I was a, a radio news anchor, there was, uh, you, you're probably familiar with this, there was a guy who drove up to a state police barracks in Pennsylvania and opened fire on it. Uh, yes. And killed a killed a trooper, yes. and it was a very famous story because that guy disappeared into the woods for a long time, and they were looking for him. And I got a I got someone called into the radio station. It was an old woman saying, uh, "There's a state police chopper over so and so in New Jersey, and it's because they know that he that guy's in the woods." Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you who told me that, but it's a good tip, so be sure you report on it. And I'm like uh, okay. Gotta, and then it, because of the procedure, I gotta call the state police and be like, are you looking for this guy? And, and she was lying. I don't know why people do this, but they've of, done it for
0: centuries. It kind of reminds me of something that took place almost around the exact same time. I think it might have been 1948 or 1949. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, uh, the Sodder children. The missing oh, Sodder children. the missing kids. Yeah, yes. That, was a... that also might be a good episode to do at some point. I It
1: makes me deeply, deeply uncomfortable. That is
0: one of the the most baffling missing
1: yeah, missing person's stories we won't I've get into heard. that because yeah, yeah, yeah. you guys need to sleep tonight um, <laughs> and so anyways yeah people uh, just had to be part of the story and we're saying <coughs> they saw Langley and uh, once the once he didn't show up for Homer's funeral that's when the police began thinking well he might he might actually have died as well that would explain some things and after uh, beginning the process of clearing out what became 140 tons Jesus of junk Jeez. from their brownstone, uh, including not just newspapers, but uh, pieces of machinery, the Heck, Ford yeah. Model T, baby carriages, rocking horses, pianos. books, uh, pianos in various states of repair, because Langley had been a, a pianist and a piano dealer. Um, and eventually they discovered the, the body of Langley. He'd been crushed by one of his own traps about, while bringing food to Homer. About three weeks later, they discovered it, too. Uh, he'd been partially eaten by rats. And was very badly decomposed, and was thus the uh, the source of the smell Jesus. that uh, began the rumors in the neighborhood. Yeah, because at that
0: because at the beginning Homer had only been dead for about ten hours, he wouldn't have been the source of the smell. No, and they which is interesting because they must have been clearing it out continually throughout the three weeks. I would think must um, have. Yeah, but you think they would have like kept smelling the smell and been like, no, there's
1: something else here. Yeah, uh, I, I guess maybe between the the rats and the and the the bad state of the place. I mean, it wasn't in, in terrible shape. Yeah, uh, beyond just having all this junk in and Wall- certain walls had collapsed inside, and there was brick and mortar everywhere. Like it all like, to, to To give you some perspective, guys, it it took them hours
0: just to get in. Yes, like to get into the apartment, they had to pretty much break down the door, break through the the little entrance entranceway, yeah. one of the policemen actually broke through one of the outside windows because they were on the second floor of a brownstone, and they broke in that way. And you still had to crawl and move your way through.
1: Yeah. While avoiding
0: traps. Tons and tons of piles of trash.
1: Yeah. it's uh, it, it, it almost sounds unbelievable. It defies any possible logic that someone could just live in the middle of this, but they yeah. did somewhat happily I guess uh, they, they had no use for the outside world and then you know they found Langley and uh, uh, buried him as well and, and divided up the estate between different relatives close and distant and they really didn't have any assets left Yeah, uh, nothing in the bank from what I can tell uh, the house didn't have a lot of value there was several thousand dollars worth of, of usable stuff at auction by the end of it and <laughs> um, and they had to tear the house down because there's no way you could make that thing livable again. It was barely standing.
0: Yeah, they tore down the entire brownstone. Yeah, right? I read, I read a quote
1: in one of the things that said that the, really the only reason that some of the walls were still standing is because of the junk. Yeah. where That were essentially <laughs> propping them up. Um, yeah. And it was raised and torn down. And actually the site of it right now, you can go, there's a uh, a small park, uh, like a micro yeah, park, I think a it, park. Yeah, it's a pocket
0: park. Pocket park, that's yeah. Right.
1: Uh, That you can visit on the site of it. Yeah. Um, where where they tore it down because there's no way you could do anything. Which like... I really want to go see it
0: actually. Yeah, I think we should we should, should, we should visit it or maybe
1: that can be the the image for this uh, episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, one of the many reasons Harlem was, is worth visiting, and it's that's, a great area. Yeah, that's the story of these two guys, and there's a lot of just absolutely bizarre details that we in no way. Uh, could get into this whole yeah. thing would just become an episode of like an NPR history thing you'll, just explaining to you'll you what tumble, going on. You'll tumble down a rabbit hole if you, if you look through this and, and I'm still going down that rabbit hole so
0: uh, even after we finish recording this podcast I'm, I'm still going to be looking up things. I want to see more pictures of the gallery and of the apartment and, and things like that. Um, so Rob, I have one very important question for you. I don't know if you know what that question's going to be
1: but... Yes. What do you got? Oh, I was... um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, just, well, what do you think? I no, it's just you know you, we know each other a long time and I, yeah, it's we just, have. There's certain milestones in relation. It's, it's yeah, like it's, episode no, eight of the podcast. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Always, always the Brad's Is that one? Um,
0: it's one singular tear coming down your left eye. No,
1: no, it's uh, oh god, it's these allergies. It's pollen season. These... It's it's winter. Uh, what? <laughs> well, it's fall. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, and I made I made some of these choices before uh, before certain people got in the news recently. Okay, uh, so keep that in mind. But uh, essentially, I'll, I'll start with my my director and, and lead uh, character voices, not character voices, character uh, actors. <laughs> uh, I'm a voiceover guy. I apologize. Uh, I want my director to be uh, my number one choice. Is Martin Scorsese. Okay. Uh, for his ability to do period pieces in New York. My number two choice for director, because I wanted to do two this time, was Danny DeVito. Interesting. Um, because wow. certain elements of like very blackly humorous stuff is, is he has a real knack for. Yeah. And this is a, kind of a darkly funny story at times, mm-hmm. but also just weird and unsettling. Kind of like Danny DeVito. <laughs> um, I love you, precious Who we babe. love. We love you so much, Danny. You're an absolute treasure. Matilda is um, one of my favorites of all time. <laughs> uh, as Homer Collier, and I do, I think we're saying that right. Huh? I think
0: it is Collier, yeah.
1: Because I'm, pr- I'm basically pronouncing it as if that was an I, Yeah. I know that name. Um, as Homer Collier, I was thinking uh, the elder brother, uh, Patrick Stewart. Okay. Um, you went with Ian McKellen for that one, didn't you? No. Uh, <laughs> as Langley, the younger brother and the engineer uh, who was unfortunately crushed by one of his own traps, uh, Stellan Skarsgård.
0: Ooh. Okay.
1: Um, so really love him. I like that. A great deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, Stellan's great. I mean, so is Patrick Stewart, but that's great.
1: Mm-hmm. And he sounds, uh, you know, you know, things that you hear about, like when the authorities did get to talk to these guys, is that they spoke in a, they, you know, they came from. Essentially a high-ish society, and mm-hmm. they were very well educated. Uh, Langley had had gone to college when he was 14. Yeah. Or uh, 16, I think. Um, and then they both went to Columbia, and of course, you know, were classically Which, educated in music he, and engineering.
0: You know what? It's interesting because it it, it it begs to show that, like, a lot of hoarders are from kind of higher classes. Like, think about yeah. Grey Gardens,
1: you know? Oh, like yeah. Those, those living were, in the mansion. Yeah, royalty, Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. like, the... the that poverty, poverty does not negate or does not, yeah. you know, equal
1: hoarding. Yeah, you can get used to things over time, man. Yeah. It just becomes normal. And it just it begins piling up like in reckless. a very literal like, sense. Like
0: Howard Hughes, almost. He was yeah, a reckless. Well, he he was, wasn't a hoarder. He, but. Was, he was Looney Tunes and on drugs as yeah. well. But
1: uh, Howard, yeah, you know, is Jesus. I mean, he essentially died from it. Another Scorsese film. Uh, <clears> his <throat> fingernail getting all along. And stuff. Oh, Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't get medical treatment or needles or anything. He, nah. he died as a result of his weird reclusiveness. Um, uh, but yeah, people people in, in the newspapers were talking about like that. Very refined voices and accents, and spoke with us mm-hmm. with a very cultured and polite tone. And it's it's weird because you expect them to sound like Bronx goblins, essentially. Yeah, uh, and you can actually see pictures of, of Langley uh, in his signature tattered coat and newsboy cap, and he has yeah. like an Albert Einstein. Mustache thing going on. A- yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I
0: remember that image because
1: that was one—the one with his lawyer. I think you're talking about, right? There's that one, and then there's one of him arguing with the cops. Oh, okay. uh, When they came uh, to, I think that's when they pulled the gas meters out of the house yeah. for lack of payment and the lack of use. Um, yep. Yeah, so this this sort of begs like. Your first instinct to m- when you make a movie out of the story of this t- these two brothers is, wow, this is weird. I can't wait to show you all the weird things and the weird stories and the weird moments. Yeah. Um, but I would that's, love to set-dress this film. It's a very <laughs> outside perspective, mm-hmm. and I think we can do better than what is essentially an episode of A Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yeah. Because what I love about storytelling in film, and I, I know you agree with me on this, is that uh, movies aren't about weird details. Movies are about relationships between people. Right. Uh, any good movie is, uh, except for the Fast and the Furious, which is about cars <laughs> and Family. Uh, uh, driving, Family. driving into submarines, uh, and they're <laughs> wonderful. Uh, but it's 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 almost sort of I don't think romantic is the right word in sense. I think but you it's, can it's, use it's romantic. A, yeah, it's, it's a it's a beautiful romantic sort of thing of these two brothers who simply didn't really have any want or need to be a part of a changing outside world and were completely comfortable just being with each other. Yeah. And while it sounds weird and it's like, ah, just go outside, it's like, you know, these guys spent decades being bothered. Yeah. People just sort of made it a game to bother these people who didn't want to be bothered. And I would love to explore the relationship between these two. And you know they talk about how Langley would uh, play the piano for his brother mm-hmm. and read him stuff from their library, and you know devoted himself to taking care of, of of Homer. And you hear things like Langley would walk all the way to Brooklyn from Harlem just to get something he thought they needed or yeah. would like. Um, it was. It, it, I think you really can use romantic. It's a very.
0: Yeah. It's a very romantic sibling story. Yeah. Um, the two of them together, just they they had a a really. Good connection. I mean,
1: it's it's why Patrick Stewart popped into my head as as Homer, just because uh, you know it eventually becomes an action film and stuff. But his performance as Professor X in Logan, uh, and the moments where it's just kind of Logan taking care of him, and that's very interesting. The way right? they kind of live apart from things. Yeah, there's a reason for it in the film. It's because Professor X's his powers are going haywire. But yeah. It's very similar in a sense, like it's these people who don't want to be bothered, and people keep trying to be, to bother them.
0: That's very because interesting. Because of what's me. different
1: about them. Because
0: and, you can see the camaraderie between Logan and Professor X in that, like mm-hmm. Logan picking him up to put him in yeah. his in his chair and things like. Yeah, like that's very similar to
1: kind of what so what's people are. Our family, to to a large extent in that yeah. film, and it's it's only compounded when it's these two brothers who've never lived anywhere else. Yeah. So this was their family home, and you know they lived there. Their parents split up, but they stayed there with their mother. And their father hmm. passed away, and then she passed away, and they both, you know, Homer Homer went blind and had to stop practicing law. Langley quit his job selling pianos and just took care of him. Never went on to be a concert pianist because of. Much more famous guy played right after him in Carnegie Hall. Like, what? <laughs> all right, what are you gonna do? <laughs> it's almost—it's almost like doing a, a like an audition show, yeah. and like Queen follows you. Like, yeah, yeah, we're good, but nobody gives a shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. Now we're always gonna be like, oh yeah, those guys played before Queen, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and I feel it. We you know the world was changing. Um, yeah, I mean, 1947—the war had just ended. Yeah, when they passed, I mean, you know, Harlem. Through through the early part of the twentieth century, the way that Harlem changed was incredible. You know, we th- we think of Harlem as a historically black neighborhood nowadays, and it is. It's, it is it's now a wonderful yes. landmark yep. of uh, of black culture and and culinary arts and and some of the most incredible music that's ever been produced. Uh, but it did used to be an upscale white neighborhood, mm-hmm. a very upscale white neighborhood, uh, which is, where doctors would move into. Which is
0: one of the reasons that the Collier brothers did at least from the articles I've read, mm-hmm. locked themselves in was because they, they were being, quote-unquote, overrun by black people.
1: Yeah, yeah. Upscale <laughs> sons of a doctor. That's, you know, they probably had never spoken yeah to, to people of color. Uh, that whole, you know, Harlem is a neighborhood, you know, there used to be a baseball stadium there. Yeah. It, it's where the New York Giants, now the San Francisco Giants, used to play. Polo grounds. that was a big thing about baseball in the early 20th century. It's like, it, it, they were in the cities, and you would just walk to stadiums. There yeah. was no parking. Uh, and, you know, once white flight started happening, then the Giants had to move because, Mm -hmm. you know, they lost that fan base, and, uh, you know, people are terrible. Uh, So, yeah, the world's changing around them, and yet they just sort of almost constructed this this hideaway from themselves. Uh, And, well, that's... I'm leading into it. My title is Hideaway. Nice. (laughs) I like it. I tip tip my hand (laughs) as I was thinking about it. Um, And, yeah, it's just... God, I, I it's, it's almost Shakespearean in, in the ways you can get into the, just. Uh, oh God, what is what is that line? They're they're each the other world, each the other's world entire. Mm-hmm. Is is a, is a great line from literature, and that's that's just something I would love to explore. Yeah, yeah, I like that because yeah. Otherwise, we're just doing like a Spike TV episode about check out right, all the garbage. Yeah. yeah, it's another. It's just yeah. an episode
0: of of hoarders.
1: Yeah. Um. really there's nothing wrong with. What they did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Nick, what
0: do you got? So, uh, I, I went, I would say very similar. Um, I wanted to explore the relationship between the, the two brothers. It was very much in the same vein. Um, I, I'll, I'll go through my director and cast first. Uh, my director, I chose Robert Eggers, who directed hmm. The Witch, and he's directing oh. The Lighthouse upcoming. Uh, my entire movie takes place in The brownstone. The entire film, yeah, makes sense. None of it is outside. Um, My cast, I chose for Homer, Willem Dafoe. Ooh. For Langley, Hugh Laurie. Oh. And then I have two detectives because my film starts off with the detective, the police force uh, going into the house after the brothers had died, Ah. Uh, and it flashes back to the brothers being alive as they find their bodies. So when they find Homer, then it goes back to. Uh, The brothers, you know, as Mm -hmm. Homer has his his stroke or whatever and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. And then sort of towards the middle end-ish, or maybe the middle of the movie, what would happen is they would find the body of Langley, Mm -hmm. and then it would flash back again to how he died as well and how Mm -hmm. Homer inevitably died because his brother had passed and no one could take care of him. Uh, So I have two detectives there. One, Benicio Del Toro. Okay. And then the other one I chose, Anthony Mackie, uh, (laughs) just because I... I wanted someone a little bit younger, mm-hmm. um, and I just wanted a, a little bit uh, different camaraderie between the detectives, because I wanted one mm-hmm. one younger and one older. As for Homer and Langley, both of them are in their late 50s, 60s. I believe Willem Dafoe is in his 60s, and I think Hugh Laurie is in his 50s. Sounds
1: um, right, yeah. Willem might be in his late 50s, but... No, <laughs> Willem's in his, his 60s now, because I, I just saw the, the film where he played um, uh, 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 Vincent Van Gogh, Oh, yes, um, yeah. And he's, of course, much, much older than Vincent ever, unfortunately. Yeah, because Vincent be. died when he was, like, 37, didn't he? I think he was in his late 30s, yeah, yeah. Uh, his brother. Um, but I I thought
0: very hard about my director. Originally,
1: oh. I was going to choose Aronofsky. Um, he's also a, a person who's really good at looking at, you know, people who cut themselves off. That's yeah. what *Reckoning for a dream is, really, in the end. Yeah. His, his delusion.
0: But I went with Eggers because of his use of isolation in his films. Yeah, The Witch um, is a
1: perfect study yes. in, in isolation what it does to people. I,
0: I have an image of the film that the only music throughout the entire film is a poorly-tuned piano. So the, so the entire film, all the Whoa. orchestration, is only a poorly-tuned piano that you would think might come from inside well their apartments. Done, sir. Um I wanted to treat the film similar to kind of like 12 Angry Men. Mm-hmm. In the fact that it's an isolated film, even though it takes place in two different times, it is only in the apartment ever. Uh, in a way that it's kind of backwards from 12 Angry Men. Mm-hmm. Where Sidney Lumet made it that you start off with high camera shots, move to lower, isolate, and the room looks smaller towards the end. Mm-hmm. I want it to go backwards since they're removing all the junk from the apartment. It looks bigger at the end. They've cleaned it out. Okay. Um, so it flashes back. Throughout the film, from the detectives telling people that they need to go search Atlantic City, mm-hmm. and having found Homer to flash in flashback to the brothers together and going through all this stuff, um, and then again in the middle of it, we have them discover Langley's body. So it's kind of a mystery mm-hmm. what happened to Langley until they discover it, and then we flash back to show how it actually <laughs> happened. Ooh, that's um, crazy. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I have here. Uh, but I was just I was very intrigued by Eggers directing this with that poorly tuned piano orchestration throughout
1: the film. Like, no other sound. Yeah, that'd be incredible. Yeah. I don't, did the witch even have a
0: soundtrack? I don't remember I any music. I can't remember. I don't, I. it might, I think it only had orchestration at the very end, at the mm-hmm. campfire, when she's actually there with when they're the dancing. witches. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think that's the only time there's music in it. Yeah, it's also one of my favorite depictions of Satan ever yes. in Yes. I, uh, I, to I, I, a I tend to sort of separate from my idea of Lucifer. I have two, like Lucifer as a character and Satan as a character. Yeah, two yeah. yeah. Thanks to me. Like one of them is a bit more like fun. Yeah, like <laughs> the TV show, Lucifer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Neil Gaiman or Constantine archetype. Um, oh, God. Now I, can, now I can hear the Black Philip whisper in my head. And it's great yeah, me. right? Uh,
0: I just, I think he would be perfect that like for this to live, film. Deliciously. Yeah.
1: Um, so I think ideas uh, that are, are bouncing around my head now after hearing that. Um, first of all, I think the movie, when we see the brothers and we're we're not in the the bookend structure you've created, mm-hmm. I think it, we should move backwards in time throughout the film. Okay. I I think we should go from the discovery of Homer's body into uh, just starting uh, basically uh, Langley moving through the tunnels and bringing him food. Okay. And what like some of their last days were like, and then we go further further back in time, and the house kind of like slowly comes back together in a sense. Okay. Until we see like maybe the last time they were actually a family unit and living a bit more in the world. Hmm. Uh, and the other thing is, I think the movie. I think it should actually be bookends. I think the movie should end with the discovery of Langley. Okay, I wasn't. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that or not because I have a very poignant image in my head. If we do that, um, which which is you know the the uncovering of the body and after we've established this relationship for an entire film. Uh, then the visual reveal that he was bringing home her food. Yes. When he died um, could be very, very powerful visual storytelling that's actually upsetting me right now. Yeah. <laughs> because,
0: yeah, that's, that's, yeah, you would have to show the body first and then flashback to it happening mm-hmm. because I think that's a really good kind of suspenseful reveal. Mm hmm. Um, of that, with people going into this movie, yeah. just wondering, like, oh, did he did he abandon his brother? He just, mm-hmm. he couldn't take it anymore, and, but then yeah, you find it's been out. weeks by
1: this point, from yeah. the perspective. And then
0: you find out that, oh, shit, he died first, because he was bringing his brother back stuff, mm-hmm. and his brother died of starvation, because he couldn't survive on his own. Yeah. And that's just a distraught reveal. Yeah. Like, it's, that's, that's an emotional it's, it's It's devastating, if you do it correctly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, I picture, like, the detectives, uh, probably not detectives, it would probably just be police officers, but, yeah. you know, just digging through the piles of trash, and weeks and weeks, they finally cleared a decent portion of the apartment, mm-hmm. and then they finally got to this one section of the room.
1: A desic, yeah, <sighs> I think, what did they say he was, I mean, I mean, from a, you know, as, the, what do you call it, as the crow flies, he was only, like, 10 or 15 feet yeah. from Homer. But, like, in terms of the way the house was set up. That, it would have taken yeah. days to get
0: 10 or 15 feet.
1: Yeah. And now I just have this very claustrophobic image in my head of, of Langley going crawling through one of these tunnels, and he's old now. Yeah. And that's probably why it happened, is he's just, I don't know, he's maybe in the middle of a coughing fit, he's an old man, and he set off set off a trap. And yeah, just, like, maybe he bumps his head above himself. Yeah. And, and then he, it just comes crashing down. We've been, we've been saying crushed. He... he when we say crushed to death, he asphyxiated. He was pressed and couldn't breathe by newspapers. That's yeah. horrifying. Yeah. Horrifying. And
0: not that. only that, but like, think of it from his brother's perspective. He's in the room with his brother who had passed away yeah. for about three weeks, n- unable to oh. help himself.
1: Yeah, what I what what was actually the time scale between when Langley died and when Homer died? I believe because it was if didn't late have water then it would have been like 3 days, It was right? a, it was
0: about um, it was late April to early May, so it was probably
1: Granted back then it was a lot harder to, to tell time of death in its particulars, yeah, but
0: but they do have an actual day of death for both brothers. So, uh Homer died March 21st and Langley died March 9th. So it was a he good made, two he, weeks he, or so. Or, yeah, just about two weeks. Wow. yeah, so he It was about 11 some, days. Some some water
1: or something near him that was keeping him going. Yeah. Because you can only live three days without water. Yeah. You can make it a while. Like, I can make it a while without food. You can make <laughs> it about two weeks without food, yeah. I believe. But water is a lot quicker. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. However, you Horrible. would you would think that Langley, having been an engineer, probably engineered some type of, I don't know, mm. Yeah, they said starvation. They didn't say dehydration. Yeah. So, so he probably manufactured some type of like way to get the water pump near Homer, so yeah. that he had access to it. It's,
1: I don't know. One maybe It's a miserable, Langley was miserable sleeping. way to die. So crippled by arthritis, you're sort of you know hunched up on a chair with your knees and your chest for years. Yeah, and that, it's it's what struck struck me the most reading these articles. It's just they found him with his head and his knees. It's just terrifying. It's, yeah, it's poignant and, and sad. And and I think it's just
0: sad. I, I think that's where it does become a great isolation story um very small cast told by this uh, by this director who just knows how to handle isolation mm-hmm. i mean he's he's on his second term with it now with the lighthouse yeah. which i I need to see badly um, with Defoe in it uh, but it's just those two brothers together and a lot of it has to be like not I, I wouldn't say a lot of conversation, but a lot of emotional dialogue. Mm-hmm. like I don't I don't see it being dialogue heavy no, but no. I see it I see a lot of it being very quiet the entire film like oh, yeah. almost to the point of it being a silent film.
1: yeah,
0: you know but when they do speak to each other, they have good dialogue. it's just not long conversations. it's not Tarantino yeah. you know it's not long dialogue or anything like that but it's just a, it's very much in turn a silent film. With some lines of dialogue thrown in, mm-hmm. um, even when we have it with the detectives, I would say it's it's not a lot. It's the detectives are used to progress the story, or ironically regress the story since it's a flashback, and it's just the two detectives and you know the other policemen just clearing away the place, and mm-hmm. we see that happen slowly throughout the film.
1: Yeah and I think that's just that's a really strong visual. That's why I wanted to do the, the moving backward in time yeah. type thing, because they're kind of meeting in the middle, now we see a, a fully uh, empty junk house, and what it looked like when it was furnished. Yeah. Um, how far back
0: would you think we go? Like, to the end of the film, how far back do we go?
1: Yeah, I was thinking, like, the last scene before before we we find Langley's body would be, like, when both their parents were still alive, and seeing what sort of a normal day in the life of the family unit was. think the father going off to work and like the the reason I like that is because we see it's not really different at all from what they're doing in the first scene of the movie. They're playing the piano and they're reading bits of classic literature and messing around with early radio and just sitting in their parlor.
0: Yeah, I can um, see that sort of dichotomy. I still don't think I would want to show the parents. I think I would still want to just keep it this very very small cast. Um because I don't – I feel – maybe a line, a, an off-screen dialogue line mm-hmm. um, would be good from the mother or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I – yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, what the actual oh, end the, – Oh,
1: their, their mother – like, the 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 last scene before we find Langley's body is the day they get back to the house from burying their mom. That's, that's yeah. The day, like, that's the day it starts. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah that's perfect. And then you –
0: know. Maybe there's just a subtle image of, like, he picked up the newspaper and just throws it on the ground next to the front door. And that's just, like, the beginning. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. It's just, like, the beginning of showing it. Don't say my last name. I don't want to know who I am. I
1: don't don't want them to know. I think we've... I think we've said it. Um, we also promote it on our Facebooks. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, like, another thing uh, why I kind of wanted Patrick Stewart uh, for, for Homer is, you know, they talk about uh, um, reading classic literature and Shakespeare to each other. And, of course, Patrick Stewart is one of our greatest Shakespearean actors. Right. Um, and there is a, a monologue from King Lear uh, when he's lost his mind uh, and he's sort of in a storm, and describing what it's like to be battered around by a storm. Yeah, and experience the wind and the rain. And it's 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 metaphorical, of course. It's what's right. actually like buffeting King Lear mentally, mm-hmm. uh, and having them do that because they're reciting. Shakespeare with each other. Yeah. But also, like, have it be the metaphor of the film is that these are just two guys in the storm trying to weather it mm-hmm. in their own little home is, is incredible. I brought a like text that. of it because who, I love this
0: modeling. Who did you say, uh, other than Patrick Stewart, who did you have? Stellan. Stellan Skarsgård. Stellan. I, I would love to see this Patrick Stewart and Willem Dafoe. Um, I would love to mm. see the two of them together. Yeah, that'd be a fun one. Um, just because... Stellan can't yeah. really do the American accent. Yeah, he's... <laughs> Uh, but they're just i feel like they're so opposite ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. i feel like that could be a very good dichotomy oh yeah uh i like for it. those two. Uh, ooh heard that back crack yeah that felt good ooh <laughs> 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 I wonder if the mics picked that up <laughs> um but yeah I, I i love the idea of it being a a reclusive isolated story of these two brothers and and literally never leaving the the house like it, the <laughs> whole film takes place there it's it's got to leave the audience in in fear of claustrophobia. Oh yeah, like throughout the whole film, people need to be uneasy. And that has to that has to come from the actual claustrophobia of it, along with the music and along with the lack of dialogue. Mm-hmm. The silence of it and the, the the plucking of a poorly tuned piano mm-hmm. while they're doing these things. it It has to feel, just it has to feel like it want it needs to make you squirm.
1: Oh yeah, you know. I, I think we can maintain the sense of, of of claustrophobia and tension and still have like an actual thing outside of the house, because I did envision a scene where Langley is preparing himself to like go out into the night at three o'clock in the morning to look for stuff and and shooting it. In a very tight sort of way with the, with the streetlights uh, being the only thing that lights him as he goes and starts looking through cans. And almost like treating it as as you would have seen in a movie where people are preparing for some kind of an expedition. So, okay. I like that. I think what we do,
0: possibly, keep it inside the house but we show him going out mm-hmm. maybe the camera pans over to the outside window mm-hmm. and we see him down on the street yeah, doing cool. that stuff but the camera stays in the house the I I, I just feel like the mm-hmm. audience needs to stay in the house the entire time mm-hmm. Um We can still, because the park was like that. He got like the Model T and like all the engineering shit for the the park to get the water. Mm -hmm. That was all right next door. That was across the street. We can show that from out the front window. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, they're only one floor up. So we can, we see him go out the front door (coughs) of their apartment. Then the camera pans across the apartment while you hear him outside, mm-hmm. stepping down to the stoop. Yeah, however the, the hell they got pans, out. <laughs> then the camera pans to the to the window. You see him go down into the street. Maybe oh, there's like an that. alley or mm-hmm. something like that. But the camera stays in the apartment.
1: Yeah, yeah that could work. Yeah, I like it.
0: I just, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I just, I see this whole thing in my head. Nests. And I'm just like, God, I just. I wish I could play piano so I could hear this. Yeah. Ironically, I was looking at pianos today. I was like, because I want to buy one and like start learning.
1: So I was like, yeah. Eh. Yeah. Pete had the same thought a couple years ago. Yeah. And then the keyboard was in the trash the other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, uh, a couple titles I came up with. I didn't I didn't go through those yet. Yeah. Uh, I used the address of the place, 2078 Fifth Avenue. 2078 5th Avenue. Um, I used Langley and Homer, which we discussed. Uh, I used the Collier confine, which is a little too, I don't know. And I also, yeah, mm-hmm. I also yeah, I also came up with a singular word title as well. What was yours again? Hideaway. Hideaway. I came up with kept. Kept. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Um, makes me think of like a kept man. Yeah. From yeah. It's
0: a sex thing. <laughs> well, this whole thing's a sex thing. Is that not what you got out of my story? Whoops. <laughs> um, <Oops>. We're canceled. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I I think I do like, especially for this one, the idea of a one-word title. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just isolated. I think that would be...
1: We've isolated wildly in like how verbose our, yeah. our title. Uh, we, we
0: either want to go very long or we want to go incredibly short.
1: Yeah, we've had, we've had commas and shit in our titles. <laughs> Like Nuked.
0: Or. <laughs> nuked or the men who disarmed the world. Um, oh, there was a semicolon in that one, too. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I I don't know. I like Kept, but I think maybe Hideaway is probably a better... I don't know. It sounds more marketable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Kept just feels very indie to me, which I like,
1: you know? Yeah, it, it also... Implies a, a position of dominance that I don't typically want to imply. That's like a true. person keeps something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, director, do we go with Eggers? I like Eggers. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it just from The Witch. So we go with Eggers, we go with Patrick Stewart, we go with Willem Defoe. <laughs> Did you say that in the last episode and I didn't know what you were saying? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now that we're actually recording these within, like, the two-week period, it's easier to remember what we've cast. and (laughs) What episode is this again? Are you sure it's number eight? As opposed to when we did the first three episodes within, like, eight months of each other. Yep. (laughs) Um, But, yeah. I think we do keep the the two detectives or policemen. They're probably not detectives, but Mm -hmm. uh, keep them as well. I was trying to think of a way to put a female. don't even
1: need to be names.
0: Yeah, probably not. I was trying to think of a way to put in a female character, but I couldn't think of anything other than like you hear you hear um, people outside the apartment as oh. they're trying to break in and stuff like that. but I, I couldn't think of a way to put in a female character. Yeah. I was gonna say one of the police officers, but it's 1947. Are there are there women on the police force?
1: No, no. Yeah, that's I'm I'm not I a hundred percent there's a black guy in the police force at that point. Yeah, that
0: I was just going with. I was like, I need someone. It was <laughs> an
1: interesting image just, you know, for the fact that, that if one of those cops that went in there was black, he would have been the first black man in that Harlem house. True. Ever. That's and that's also a cool ever. image, yeah. Yeah. That's very cool.
0: Um but yeah, I, I just like the idea of like, especially if we do that image, that scene where Langley's going out to Scavage for food or whatever mm-hmm. you keep the camera inside same as any time someone tries to break in through the window or something mm-hmm. I, I get a it's le- like an invasion it's an invasion it's a yeah. little bit like the opening scenes of Panic Room when the camera zooms from the third floor down through the railing through the mm-hmm. coffee machine uh, which I think we've also talked about in this podcast I
1: remember talking about <laughs> uh,
0: Panic Room I, f- I think we have huh. um, but just that idea of the camera like the camera is kind of like it's own entity it's mm-hmm. following these things happening it's not always going to be right on the characters. You know, maybe, it's, maybe the camera's like looking over at an empty, not an empty, but looking over at the wall that's just covered in newspapers and books and everything. Yeah. And the dialogue's happening off camera. You know, it's, it's, it, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's just that kind of like uncomfortableness yeah. that that keeps the camera moving. Like, I, I just, I like the idea of, like, as he's getting ready to go out, the camera's on him, it sees him go out the front door, and then it pans across the apartment, zigzagging through all the stuff, and you oh, hear Jesus. his footsteps it's outside the computers. wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you hear his footsteps outside the wall as it pans and tracks him. Yeah. You know? So, like, when people are trying to break in through the windows or through the front door or whatever, yeah. um, I, I want to really see the actual layout of the apartment. Um, I wish I could... Find like a layout blueprint of it. Yeah, but Wonder if it exists. Yeah, but um, <clears throat> it's just like the camera stays in as it, as if it's one of the men. You know, like yep. it's it's its
1: own. It, it's also locked in that apartment together mm-hmm. with them. So I'm thinking like there, you know, of the story beats that we hit in it. Um, probably like there's just a lot of weird. Little moments you can do that I don't think are really integral to the plot. I think like each beat we hit as we go further back in time, is the day that they make a certain kind of adjustment, like the day they stop paying the gas bill and and Langley brings in a kerosene heater for the first time. Yeah, like we, it's just sort of like as you go back in time, it's getting better, but we're seeing like the compounding, like each little just thing they have to start dealing with. So, so in your mind, any time we're with the brothers
0: the film is going backwards and then with the detectives we're obviously seeing the progression of
1: them cleaning out the place. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I like that. Just kind of similarly just less and less stuff over time. I like it. I like what we've got. I think we have a I think we have yeah. a film here. Yeah, we usually do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How's the uh, transcribing coming on Nuked?
1: <laughs> not well. <laughs> it's very hard to deal with what we just scream at each other. Yeah. Especially when we're really happy about stuff. <laughs> and it's a lot. So I, I'm essentially just trying to turn it into bullet points now instead of actually transcribing. <laughs> That's
0: fine. Still not going
1: well. I still have the first,
0: like, four pages written just of, like, ideas I had in my mm-hmm. head. So we then I gotta, like, we don't
1: really go linear the whole time either, so then I gotta try and order them. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> we're gonna have to find a way to, like, um,
1: I'll get there, I'll get there. Yeah,
0: we need a, what's it called? Friggin' post not secretary poster. I was looking like poster board. What the fuck is the word? index cards? What's it called? It's, uh, a, it's, an, it's an option in final draft I don't where know. you can or roll a deck storyboard. I don't know.
1: <laughs> storyboard Nick you...
0: <laughs> God he's like le- leering at me <sighs> sit down or you storyboard it uh, we should we should do that <laughs> um, yeah I don't know I mean I don't know what else is to be said about hideaway
1: uh not much really it's uh, yeah check out the the story of these brothers it's it's a weird slice of New York from two different times yeah and how they just absolutely do not mesh it's uh, it's pretty insane. Uh, thank you guys for listening
0: to this episode we hope you enjoyed it this was a very interesting one for us and and, and just a a very wacky story like Rob said please check it out Uh, check out some of the photos in in the gallery that's on that article we will be listing it's pretty crazy Um, you can follow us on Twitter at what do you got Uh, you can follow us on Facebook I believe at what do you got podcast Uh, if you want to email us please wdygpodcast at gmail.com Please uh, review us on iTunes, review us on Stitcher, wherever you listen to us, Podbean, however. Uh, Review, download, share. All that stuff really helps us out. We're trying to gain some traction on this. We're about eight episodes in, and hopefully we're doing an okay job.
1: Yeah, probably not. (laughs) So, I've been Rob. I've been Nick. And that's what we got. (laughs) What Do You Got? is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Weiss. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Weiss.